Welcome to Home Space and Reason, a podcast about creating a home that thrives. Hi there, I'm Christina Browning, your host. If you feel like your household frustrations are stealing away your life hour by hour, I discuss home functionality, aesthetics, and automation. With a bit of history and a dash of psychology, this isn't your typical house podcast. I am a realtor and a home functionality coach, so I geek out on various subjects regarding your home and yard, challenging you to think of your space differently to get the most out of every square foot. I pose questions for you to think through about your space and your reasoning. This podcast is all positive, making adulting easier one podcast at a time. Remember, there's no such thing as perfect, but you can still aim for your best every day. In this episode, let's discuss forethought on home functionality, organization, and automation when building a home. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast so that they download automatically as they come out. My priority is always my family and then my clients, so occasionally episodes don't come out exactly as scheduled. Subscribing allows you to know when they are available and they will download automatically. Builders, you might make it common practice to share this on your social media platform and with any potential clients to educate them and avoid more change orders than you might otherwise have had. When clients consider all the details they want to include in their home upfront before the process begins, they will be happier with their end result and more likely to write positive reviews and refer their friends and family. Everybody wins here, so share this podcast liberally. A little housekeeping note just for this episode. Normally in this podcast, you'll hear music right before I pose questions about your space and your reasoning so that you can grab a piece of paper and write down some notes. But for this episode, if you're building a home soon, you might want to grab your pen and paper early as I'm referencing this list that I created myself when we built our home and I've added things to it that I wished I had known or thought of. So there will be notes to take through the entire episode. Next, understand that most builders' schedules are just guidelines. They're not set in stone. Bad weather, permit holdups, building issues, and scheduling contractors can make this schedule ebb and flow. And that is normal. Design for your future, even if you can barely imagine what life with kids would be like or what caring for your elderly parents might be like. Consider it. Imagine it. Think it all the way through. If you've listened to this podcast from the beginning, you know I advocate to make decisions that go the distance. Don't think of your home with right now in mind. Instead, think of a five or 10 year perspective. Go down rabbit holes for each space in this future home of yours before things get started and do your homework. 
I spent two months doing research every single night on what I should know, learning what I liked aesthetically and what I didn't. The day we went into the showroom to pick out our finishes, I equated it to my personal Super Bowl. That was a day I will remember for the rest of my life because, you know, I geek out on all things house and home. So to be in that showroom, seeing all the hours of research come to fruition was exhilarating and I loved every second. Let's get you familiar with what the term change order means. In construction, change orders are also called variations or variation orders, which is any modification or change to the work agreed in the original contract. It is treated as a variation and there are charges affiliated with this. So that is why geeking out on what you want and what you don't want in advance is a great idea because it will save everyone time, heartache, and money. Changes interrupt schedules and interrupted schedules cost money. More materials cost money. More labor costs money. Let's begin by going over the steps in a new home build. First, the construction site is prepared and the foundation is poured. Now let's talk about the final walkthrough. Your builder will walk you through your new home to acquaint you with its features and the operation of various systems and components. They should explain your responsibility for maintenance and upkeep as well as warranty coverages and procedures. This is sometimes referred to as a pre-settlement walkthrough. It's also an opportunity to spot items that need to be corrected or adjusted which goes on to a punch list. So pay attention and maybe even record it with your phone so you can remember what they say later and rewatch their demonstrations of things like shutting off the main water line or your gas line or where you change your air filter. You'll look at things like the countertops, the fixtures, the floors and the walls for possible damage because Things happen during construction with so many crews coming and going, ladders being moved around, you get the gist. Don't wait until after you move in for discovering the gouge in your countertop because at that point there's no way to prove whether it was caused by the builder's crew or you moving in. So do your due diligence here. Communicate everything with your builder and don't assume anything. While there is no way to avoid mistakes, you can minimize them by being specific and making it very clear what your expectations are. So many mistakes happen simply because of miscommunication or the lack of communication between the foreman and the subcontractors. So if you can write things down, show photos, and pass those things to them as clearly as possible, there will be less things misunderstood. I learned quickly that the more specific I could be describing how I wanted something to look, even with a picture if I had one, the smoother things would go. When you are in the dreaming phase with no dirt moved yet, people often don't think about including storage spaces into their planning. 
most of the attention goes to the finishes and the cabinetry details. But as a realtor, I can tell you that storage is prime real estate inside a home. It comes up with every buyer I work with. Planning for storage isn't the most exciting part of the process, but it has a huge influence on the way you live in the home later. So anywhere you see potential, like under the stairs, don't let the builder seal in that space. Add cubbies or a small door for luggage or holiday decorations. Use your space wisely keepsakes, kid toys, you'll always appreciate storage options that are out of sight. Know that your house will appear smaller than expected during the framing stage. Like seriously, when we were standing on our concrete pad, looking at the walls going up, I felt like we just bought a shoebox. I'm happy to report that our home does not in fact feel that way now. Something we did when the house was framed in that I'm glad we had the forethought to do is take a photo of each room so we would know generally where the studs are, where vents and electrical run. So when imagining where we wanted to mount something or envisioning changes in the future, we can reference these photos and feel like we kind of have a see-through situation happening in our walls now. It costs nothing to take these photos and you'll be happy that you did years down the road. For our particular build, the ceilings were painted the same color as the walls unless we wanted to upgrade that to white, and that for our build was an additional $1,000. My husband and I went around and around on this one. Will it feel too dark despite having nine foot tall ceilings? We chose Argos Gray for the walls, which is a Sherwin-Williams color it's not warm and it's not cool. It's straight down the middle. And so do we shell out more for the ceilings to be white? Ultimately, we decided to put that money into another upgrade, thinking if we absolutely don't like it, we can paint the ceilings white ourselves. I'm happy to report that we don't notice that they're not white and it was the right choice for us. Let's talk about why there's a charge. If the painters do the ceilings a different color, they have to tape off the line where the ceiling meets the walls, and this takes more time. Time costs money. Not all builders proceed this way, so it's good to ask. It might even be a cost savings to you if they normally do the ceilings white and you inquire if you could save some money here by having the home sprayed all the same. It's up to you and totally depends on what color you're putting on your walls as well as how high your ceilings are. My number one most important message about building a home is never ever skimp on window count or size. Promise me, never. Repeat after me, I will never skimp on windows. When possible, add windows or make them bigger. Bring in the light. If you have a wooded area or a view of any kind, pay attention to that. The view will sell your home, even if it's only trees. 
Natural light is essential to our happiness and sense of well-being. It gives you a feeling of peace and serenity. It is a major contributor to the atmosphere you create in your new home. So don't skimp. Black framed windows are in style right now. You have a choice. Look them up and imagine what color your exterior will be and think about whether you want almond, white, or black. This is not the trim. This is actually the window itself. They come in different colors. I know someone who didn't question her builder and they just automatically put in almond windows. She envisioned white in her head and she feels disappointed. So do ask about your choices. Be prepared also to spend a good chunk of change on window coverings. Chances are your home does not come with even the most basic inexpensive window coverings and they add up when you're dealing with an entire home of windows. So be prepared to spend several thousand dollars on blinds or shutters or shades. Listen to episode six, the lighting and windows episode, because you might be able to use window film in some areas and forego the window coverings altogether. We did this in our stairwell, which has a view straight into our neighbor's bathroom. Yikes. And we did that in our master bathroom. Also, half high shutters might be a good choice for you and less expensive than full height. This episode discusses all of it, so be sure to refer to episode six. Since we're talking about lighting, bring on the dimmers. In addition to saving energy, dimmers offer the flexibility to switch from brighter light to chill out or dinner party light whenever you feel like it. If you look at your floor plan and you have any areas that do not have windows, like a stairwell or a hallway, you might want to wire in automatic night lights that go on when it's dark and go off when it's light. They are simply wired in, so they are not connected to an outlet and aesthetically it looks cleaner. This helps our home feel less spooky to our sun because there are virtually no areas that are pitch black at night. They're warm and dim and it's just enough light in our stairwell so we can see the steps and we don't fall down the stairs. Let's talk about the kitchen, how it's set up and attention to details. When I did a walkthrough of our home when it was roughed in before the drywall had gone up, I talked with the foreman about the placement of the island and noticed it was uncomfortably close to the main bank of cabinetry along the wall because when you consider the dishwasher swings open, there should still be room to walk by even when the door is swung down. Some islands are just simply placed too close for comfort. You need more than a two-butt kitchen. (laughs) Make sure you have clearance even when the door is open on your dishwasher. Here's another question to ask yourself. Am I a two-sided sink person or do I want one giant basin? Do you want a farmhouse sink? I find people are pretty passionate about a one-sided sink or a two-sided sink. Think about it. Your builder will likely just install whatever he has installed previously if you don't ask him or let him know what you want. 
Where will your garbage and recycling go? Recycling actually produces more volume these days than garbage in many households, at least it does in ours. So building in a spot for this, ideally in a pullout format on a lower bank or in the island can be a huge space saver. I don't like keeping the trash in the pantry or out in the middle where people walk because you literally have to move around it. Plus, it's ugly. There's never enough room under the sink, especially for both recycling and garbage. So put it in a pull-out form in a lower cabinet where it's tucked away with the smells and unsightly mess. Think about including space-saving ideas into your cabinetry like a baseboard pull-out drawer at the floor line where the trim might be on your island. I've seen this used for cookie sheets and cupcake tins and pizza pans. I am personally not a fan of a lazy Susan. The fact that half the contents are backwards at all times makes it feel so messy to me. And I don't feel like the space is used efficiently. You can get pull out shelves for these spaces that utilize the depth better and then can accommodate pots and pans if you choose or baking goods and food, etc. Here's another thing that I love. We chose a touch faucet. So instead of pulling or turning a handle to turn the water on, you simply touch it to turn it on or off. This has come in especially handy when handling raw chicken. You can touch the faucet even with your elbow and turn on the water, wash your hands without touching anything. It comes in even more handy post COVID area when you want to keep touching hardware to a minimum prior to washing your hands. I like my countertops clean, so I wanted a built-in soap pump for my dishwashing soap, so there's one less thing sitting on the countertop. Also, the shallow area in front of the sink can be, if you ask for it, a flop-out spot to hold sponges and scrubbies so they aren't sitting on top of your countertop or in your sink. Oftentimes this panel is sealed shut in front of the sink, but it's a wise use of space for holding things you'll use every day in a handy spot. I like the looks of a kitchen when there aren't a million things junking it up. So to me, that also meant using an air switch for the garbage disposal, which moves it to a button on the countertop flush mount. So it's not another thing on the wall. The switch is a convenient and alternative method to turn on your garbage disposal. It uses air pressure instead of electricity to activate your unit. So it reduces the potential of an electric shock when you've got wet hands. The air switch is a push button mounted on your countertop, as I said. So when you're picking out your faucet, just ask what accessories come with it. And you can likely choose one that comes with a soap pump and air switch for the disposal all in the same finish. Where will your spices go? Odd spaces at the end of the counter or next to the stove can be ideal for a pull-out spice shelf. I also recommend deep drawers in the kitchen instead of having all lower cabinets. 
You access them from the top by pulling them out instead of opening them like a cabinet and needing to squat down. For those cabinets on the lower bank, pull-out shelving can be a space saver too, allowing you to reach into the back corners without having to crawl on the floor to see what's back there. I made my island bigger by building in a bookshelf on the end facing the dining room, not into the kitchen, so the end faces the other room, which allows space for the paper towel holder to be mounted out of sight and all of our cookbooks to be stored down there at the end. This added an additional 12 inches in length to our island, making it more luxurious and useful. Two people can work there at the island with plenty of elbow room for each person. The build quote included base entry-level kitchen appliances. Until my foreman pointed it out, it didn't occur to me that this would bother me later. He said, if I were you, I would consider upgrading just one level at minimum so your dishwasher isn't super loud and everything doesn't feel cheap to you. Noise and efficiency are the two areas you will benefit from when you upgrade. The builder usually buys all the appliances as a set. So when you upgrade one, you generally upgrade them all as they typically come as packages. There are exceptions to this, of course, but this gives you at least a talking point to have with your builder at minimum. We are glad that we upgraded. I love the ambiance in the kitchen when we have just the hanging lights on dimmers above the island on and the under cabinetry lights on. So seriously consider adding under cabinetry lighting. This is easiest done during the build phase because of the need for electrical access. Since we're talking about electrical access here, let's talk about adding a docking station. Reference the link I'll share from a company called Docking Drawer. I've seen a whole drawer just for electronics with outlets in the back so you can put your electronics away and lessen countertop clutter. This is a great idea for the heart of your home wherever people are often. Side note, this could also be something you consider for the master bathroom for plugging in curling irons, hair dryers, and charging phones at night. Next, I want you to consider the walls. Do you have any walls that you want intentionally finished smooth as opposed to finished with texture so that you can either add wallpaper or idea paint so that wall becomes a dry erase board. You might remember from episode 29 about the home office, you can still paint your wall whatever beautiful color you had in mind, but adding this additional layer of clear idea paint means that the wall can be written on with a dry erase marker and wiped off just the same. This comes in handy on a wall in the kitchen for menus, children's rooms for free reign to illustrate on their walls, or home offices for brainstorming and mapping. So if you have walls you are thinking of wallpapering or dry erase, make sure you communicate that with the builder and the finishing drywall crew. 
let's discuss soft close hinges. They were an upgrade, but worth every bit of the luxury because there's no slamming of cabinet doors, which can be especially comforting when you have littles or teenagers. Anything that can add to the peace in the home is worth its weight in gold. They are applied to all cabinets, so bathroom, laundry room, kitchen, all of them. Have that discussion with your builder. Back to the kitchen. Open shelving is popular these days, but you don't have to go all or none. I had one cabinet, the left and right side, removed and I added open shelving just in that one spot to the left of our kitchen sink. It helps the kitchen to feel modern and more airy. We use the bottom shelf for the glassware we use every day. And yet I can close off the other cabinets the old fashioned way, keeping dust out with the doors. I enjoy the combination of open shelves and cabinetry, and I don't regret my decision one bit. I'd make the same decision if I could go back in time. We had the option to run our cabinets all the way to the ceiling, adding another row of basically unreachable cabinets, which I would absolutely add again if given the choice. Ours have glass on the front to break up the massive wall of wood cabinets, so aesthetically it looks intentional and pleasing. It's a great place for china if you have a set of dishes you don't use every day, and it cuts down on using your lower cabinets for those things that you only access a handful of times each year. This leads me to something I didn't think of when we built our house. Include a spot for a stepladder to reach those cabinets so you aren't going out to the garage or elsewhere just to reach those higher cabinets. Luckily, we do have a spot for it, which was simply a happy accident. But think of that ahead of time because there are many things I can't reach and it doesn't bother me a bit with quick and easy access to my step stool. Now let's talk about handles versus knobs. You might remember from the knobs, pulls, and handles episode 24 that generally you grasp a cabinet knob with a thumb and a forefinger, but for a pull, you just hook a finger or two behind the open part. So what that means is pulls tend to be a little easier to use since it doesn't require grip. So, if people are suffering from mobility issues or arthritis, a pull can be a better choice. Likewise, let's talk about that as it pertains to knob versus pulls for interior doors. There are handles and there are knobs. The handles generally require less grip. Attention to practicality and ease of use are paramount because many people these days are aging in place, so pulls for drawers and handles for doors will be most universal for all ages and abilities. Here's another interesting tidbit. Our builder's foreman assumed we would have the same pulls on our cupboard doors everywhere in our home. Kitchen, laundry, bathrooms, all the same. Except I ordered mine custom, of course, outside what the options were in the one showroom I went to, and I most certainly wanted a different feel for the bathrooms than I did the kitchen. 
I had champagne gold finish on the poles in the kitchen while I had a sparkly knob on the master bathroom drawers with a satin nickel pole on the cabinets. Totally different vibe from the kitchen. So know before you go, if you don't pick cabinet poles, they will be chosen for you and they will likely be the same everywhere in the house. If you haven't yet listened to episode 24, the whole thing is about knobs, pulls, and handles. So please listen to that if you're choosing them for your newly built home. Are you a family with pets? Where will those pet food bowls go? Where do the dog beds go? Since you are building design spaces for these things to live instead of walking around them, If you look up Sarah Robertson's Instagram page listed as Studio Dearborn, you will see her great pull-out animal dishes she has incorporated into some of her designs. She blends clever storage seamlessly into precision millwork, resulting in tailored, elegant spaces that are fun and practical to live in. I've also seen something called Pocket Doggy Doors, or also they could be a baby gate. They slide out just like a pocket door, except they're half high to keep pets and kids contained. Genius. I will post a photo of this on the group page for you to reference. Here's another question. How will you wash the pet? If it's a dog, I have seen dog wash platforms put into laundry rooms and garages so you don't have to get the bathtub mucked up. They actually don't take up much room and are a big asset to buyers with pets. These scenarios also come in handy for extra muddy kids that just finished a soccer game, so it might be something to consider. Now let's shift our focus to any built-ins you might be including. Built-ins can be challenging as it pertains to power access. So for example, imagine this. Let's say you have a half-high built-in on either side of your fireplace and you want to set a tabletop lamp in the corner. You will need a plug-in on the top of that built-in bookcase, ideally flush mounted so you don't notice it when you're standing back. Also important, if you're going to set, let's say, a vintage radio or TV components inside your built-ins, you'll need electrical outlets in the back of a couple of them down below. When the holidays roll around, Will you want to put garland on top of your fireplace and plug those white Christmas lights in? If you do, you will need an outlet for that. So consider all those things as it pertains to built-ins. Since we're talking about built-ins, you might recall from episode 6 when I talked about lighting that I have recessed lighting in my living room, as many of you might be considering. One bulb in the ceiling on either side of my fireplace is on one dedicated light switch. When I couldn't keep a plant alive to save my life, I discovered that when I put grow lights in those two sockets, magically my plants became the lush beauties they are today. So 
You might talk to your electrician or builder about splitting up your recess lights to be on two switches, allowing different moods and functions. I had just the two recessed lights on either side of the fireplace, but on one switch, and that has worked great with my grow bulbs and plants. They are so happy. Next, let's shift to bathrooms. Create an environment that speaks to your soul. Kitchens and bathrooms sell houses. I have a whole board on Pinterest just dedicated to bathrooms. So follow me there by searching the handle space and reason. If you're a bath loving person or your spouse has to get up super early and you don't, Consider dimmers in your master bathroom. Here's another thing I didn't know until our home was built. Everything is bigger these days. I noticed this because I'm five foot two. I'm a shorty and the toilets are so tall that I cannot sit on it and have both feet touch the floor flat footed. My toes hit the floor and that's it. Did you know that toilets come in different heights? Yeah, I didn't. Our toilet seat sits 18 inches off the floor. I just measured how many inches my legs are below my knees, and that's 16 inches. So that would explain why I can only touch the floor with the balls of my feet. So dumb. Standard bowls whose rims stand about 14 to 15 inches above the floor would have been far more appropriate for me, but I did not know toilets came in different sizes, and so I didn't ask. I am including a link on the Home Space and Reason Facebook group page about 11 features to avoid when buying a new toilet. It's an article by the Spruce, and it's a good one. Be sure to refer to it. One last thing on that topic, if you have younger kids, taller toilets and taller sinks means more years of step stools to reach everything. Also, did you know there are now toilet seat lids that have small potty seats nestled discreetly into the lid? So those of you potty training can opt for this seat lid and not have to worry about taking one on and off for your little ones when they're getting familiar with using the bathroom on a grown-up potty. Once they're done with it, you won't even notice it because of how discreet it is. It's nestled right into the seat lid. It can be nice when you have company over with little ones because you've got access again. Now let's talk about bathroom walls or specifically the room the potty is in. Since some homes have the toilet in a small room with a door inside the bathroom itself, which allows two people to use the bathroom at the same time while giving the person on the potty some privacy, did you know that you can have that room insulated to soundproof it a bit more? This is especially important in homes with smaller footprints and whose bathroom shares a wall with the room where people will gather. There is nothing worse than having an upset tummy and needing to use the bathroom when the bathroom is right there within earshot of everyone. 
If you haven't had the chance to listen to episode 22 yet, it's all about bathrooms and you might have a listen for more info and details about smart home things specific to bathrooms and ways to avoid things that will bug you in the future because part of that episode, I talk about people's pet peeves and how to avoid them. Although towel bars are the norm, you don't have to have towel bars in your bathroom. You could choose towel hooks instead. Many builders put up whatever they have put up in previous houses without giving it thought. You have a choice. You also have a choice on the toilet paper holder. They have kinds now that are either an open C without the spring-loaded crossbar or that the crossbar is on a hinge and it simply pivots up to change the roll. Both of these options seem far more functional than the old spring kind. Let's talk about your shower. If you have a walk-in shower with tile on the walls, I discovered it's many, many hundreds of dollars to add another cubby, I'm using air quotes here, for shampoo and razors. Why? Because they have to frame it out and then cut all the tile around it for that indentation. Here's what I didn't think of. I could have just asked them to make that cubby long and wide so it was more of a shelf and the cost would have likely been almost exactly the same. It didn't occur to me until I saw the build from someone else's home and they had a different tile inset into this stripe for holding things and it was so well done and attractive. We also didn't ask for a foot prop or a shave ledge, which is a little niche or small shelf toward the bottom of the tiled shower designed as a footrest while you shave your legs. Sound frivolous? Not if you are a person that shaves their legs. Imagine standing in a shower, soapy tiled floor, razor in hand, standing on one foot while the other is elevated while torquing your body from one side to the other trying to shave the backs and sides of your legs. On one foot. It's awkward and uncomfortable. For crying out loud, builders just include these as standard practice because even if the current homeowners are not people who shave, the next owners will likely be. Remember the person you deal with at the showroom is most likely not the same person who will be completing the work. You will need to be very specific about the tile. Do you want it run horizontally? vertically, herringbone, what kind of grout do you want? I'm including a tile pattern post for you to reference because there are 10 ways to set tile. Next, think about your grout. Grout matters big time. I'll take a photo of the same tile used in our upstairs bathroom where the tiles are set closer together and with a light gray grout and our kitchen, same tile, where I had them spaced further apart and we used black grout. It feels so totally different. The original plan called for an upstairs bathroom to have gorgeous penny tiles on the floor. Except that I had a two-year-old boy at the time and all I could think about was how much cleaning that floor would need 
and pee seeping into the grout. So we opted for vinyl flooring there. Yep, that's what I said, vinyl. Before you think of the 1980s, know that there are options out there now that look exactly like wood, raised grain and all. And this set better with me because I could mop it up. And for raising a boy, there will be a lot of mopping during the potty training years. People who come into our home cannot tell that we do not have wood in there. Light fixtures installed over the mirror is never adequate for the homeowner standing there trying to see if they look like a clown or what's really going on with this mascara since their eyes are shadowed. Light the mirror instead along the sides at minimum. Bonus points for lighting it additionally from the top and the bottom to create even lighting, which is so important while grooming. And yes, there are beautiful and sophisticated ways to achieve this. Here's something to consider. Build flex spaces. If your builder has a formal dining room included in the plans and you don't see yourself having a big family meal more than once a year, don't have a chandelier put into that space. Choose a light that can be more universal so this room can function in a completely different way until you need it for one big meal. Our guest bedroom upstairs was the same size as all the other bedrooms, which was just big enough for a bed, a couple nightstands, and some room to dress. We opted to push the whole room out, and now that space can accommodate a secondary bed if a family wanted to come and stay with us for a week or more. It's also his classroom when we had to homeschool. Art, music, all of it fits in this space just because of that slight six-foot bump out. This was some of the best money we spent. If that room was as it was intentionally planned, big enough only for a bed, it wouldn't be used but a handful of times each year. Since we pushed it out six feet, it gets used daily now. We opted for ceiling fans in the bedrooms where people will sleep every night. There are modern options and the movement of air helps with a deeper and more restful sleep. Here's a question. Where will your TVs go? Make sure you have the builder drop Smurf tubes in so you don't have exposed cords to hide. Most people will say this is standard operating procedure, but please do not assume. A Smurf tube is a corrugated PVC flexible tubing used to provide an easy method to run wiring and is installed during the pre-wiring construction phase. Retrofit wiring can easily be pulled through the tubes without painstaking cable snaking, so they're all but required these days with our fancy flat panel TVs made for mounting. There should be an outlet here as well, higher on the wall where you intend to mount your TV and ideally access to studs for secure mounts. Opt in for a smart home thermostat. You'll save money on heating, and cooling. You can also have your home pre-wired for solar panels or have them put in at the build point. 
we had our home pre-wired for it and then installed them five years later. The sooner you put in the solar panels, the more tax credit you will see as it decreases per year as the law currently stands. So check into that before you make a decision. According to the ambient.com, the beauty of today's smart home is that it's almost wire free. Wireless protocols such as Zigbee, Z-Wave, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth LE have done away with the need to install complex and expensive whole-home electrical systems just to control your smart lights remotely. In the modern smart home, all you need is a smartphone, OV, and a Wi-Fi router to unlock the power of connected devices, most of the time. There are still some key devices you're going to have to hardwire though. This is not so they can work with wireless smart home systems, but because they need to communicate with your appliances that aren't connected and smart. When selecting connected gadgets for your home, bear in mind, these are the ones you're going to need to wire up. Smart light switches, smart wall outlets and thermostats, smart sprinkler controllers, smart smoke alarms, and smart video doorbells. I have listed the ambience article so you can reference it on the group page. So I'm sitting in my family room doing a puzzle with my seven-year-old son. My husband just closed the glass office door to take a phone call. I was just giving thanks that I had the forethought when we built this house to put in a glass door there instead of a typical bedroom door. Do you want your home office door to be see-through so it doesn't feel like you're in a bedroom? You can swap it out for a glass door so you can keep an eye on the kids or post a sign in the window when you're on a Zoom call. If you have a home office space, where will your printer go? If there is a closet, you can have an outlet put in the back of the closet and a shelf put at desk height inside the closet. This allows the printer to be behind closed doors and it also allows a charging station and have a space for projects to live when they aren't yet completed. Another thing I'm crazy about is dropping an electrical outlet in the middle of the floor in our home office so the large workspace can sit in the middle of the room with the cords dropping straight down through the floor. No need to push everything up against the edges of the room. Aesthetically, it's so much more effective. And we were able to fit two full workspaces in this one room. If you haven't had a chance, I further explain this in episode 29, all about the home office. If you know of someone thinking of building a home, please share this with them and help me by rating and writing a quick review on this episode. It helps others to see that this is a quality podcast worth listening to. Where will you barbecue? Even if that's not a thing for you, when you sell your home, this could be a thing for the next buyer. So if you can include an exterior gas line for barbecue hookups, this is a great idea. Also, along the same line, you can include an outdoor gas fireplace and have the gas lines run at the same time for minimal cost compared to what it would cost after the home is built. 
Speaking of barbecuing, we had our concrete back patio poured an extra 24 inches wide, so it intentionally sticks out from the overhang, allowing the barbecue to live there and vent into the open air. It's just enough so the person barbecuing is under the roof part, but the back of the barbecue is slightly out from under it. It also expanded the useful space of the patio. Here's another tip that I love. I had the electrician put an outlet at the top of our patio overhang because I knew we would want bistro lights out there year round. No dangling cords to wrangle, just a clean way to plug in the lights high up and out of sight. On that note, we also had an outlet installed under an overhang on our roof specifically for Christmas lights. It connects to a light switch inside our house in a coat closet so we can plug in the Christmas lights on the roof where they are anyway and turn them on and off with a light switch. I think this was only like $100 for an upgrade and it's magical when it's cold outside in the middle of winter and you just flip a switch and they're on. So worth it. Here's something I wish I had included, an electric outlet in our yard to accommodate a small water feature. I wish we would have added more outlets in the garage for woodworking, charging the lawnmower batteries, and other things. I'm glad we included outlets with a dedicated circuit toward the front of the garage for our extra refrigerator and our kegerator. A special shout out goes to my niece, Tiffany. Her and her husband are building their first home. Congratulations, good luck, and enjoy it. So when we built our home, we had one wall essentially removed for a large accordion window that slides open to be put in its place. When the weather's nice, we slide the whole thing open and enjoy the indoor-outdoor experience. However, what we didn't realize is we could ask for the heating and cooling to be split into two sections so that when the doors are open, the AC doesn't kick on to try to compensate for the higher temps. Had we simply known to tell the builder we wanted two zones, we could have turned off the downstairs zone when the wall was open and it would maintain the upstairs separately. I also was interested to learn that the cost to do this is not that much when they're in their framing stages and everything is open, but the cost to do it post-build is astronomical, so having two zones in your heating and cooling can be advantageous. Because heat rises, the upper levels are always going to be warmer than the lower levels, so to combat this, at least two zones can be installed, one upstairs and one downstairs. Another thing to consider if you're not putting in AC when you build is to have it built AC ready. This saves you a lot of money later with all the vents and electrical outlets being present and previously installed. Since you are building, please consider now where you will put your things when you walk in the door. If you don't have a formal mudroom in your plans, have the builder at least incorporate some cubbies for your wallet, purse, and homework. Hooks under it will accommodate a coat, backpacks, and an umbrella. If you don't set up your entryway to handle your life, mail, keys, 
etc. Your home will get junky extra quick and you will always live in frustration that it's hard to keep your home tidy. Thinking of how you and your family function and what you need daily will help set your home up for success. For example, if you're in the military and you have to get up at 3 a.m. often, dimmers will be extra important so you can get ready without the bright lights waking up the rest of the family. Extra space for your boots, boot polish, and uniform near the door would be helpful since you can't have a wrinkle in it. Maybe your mother-in-law uses a wheelchair for mobility. Is the guest bathroom and door wide enough to accommodate this? Perhaps your family loves biking. Should you extend your garage just enough to accommodate mounting all the bikes in a dedicated space off to the side? As a realtor, I can tell you when there is just a small amount of extra space in the garage beyond parking cars in it, it is is so accommodating to the passions people have. No matter if you enjoy gardening, woodworking, biking, or restoring old cars, a little extra garage space can be well used no matter who lives there. Our earth is counting on us to make better decisions, and this includes in the home building process. While many companies claim to build green, there are certain questions you can ask to be sure your home is truly green. Questions to ask yourself about your home space and how green it's going to be. Question number one, has the home received an EPS or HERS rating? This rating verifies that the home has met the high standards of indoor air quality, comfort, low maintenance, and energy efficiency. Question two, what performance testing is being performed on this home? A blower door test evaluates how much air leakage the home has. Air leakage affects the home indoor air quality, comfort, and energy efficiency. Duct testing evaluates how efficient the HVAC system is in transferring that air that moves through it to the intended rooms with minimal air leakage. This affects the home's indoor comfort and energy efficiency. I'll put a video of our blower door test on the podcast notes. Question number three, what are your overall priorities with your home? Write them down, at least five, and they should be touchy-feely things like, I want space for our family to really enjoy time with one another. And that translates to what for you? Does that translate to biking, candle making, baking? Figure out what the end result needs to be and work backward. Think about the things you love to do and then what space you would need to do those things, and storage you would need to store those things. If you love happy hour, put in the kegerator and make sure you have room on your new porch for enough chairs for you plus guests. Lastly, I want to set up your expectations properly. There will be imperfections in your new home, and this is totally normal. 
Remember, I say there is no such thing as perfect, and every builder is only as good as his weakest subcontractor, so gear up for patience. Many assume a new home will be perfect, but it won't. So know now what you're signing up for. Building a house involves a lot of people and a lot of changing and moving parts. Know that you aren't going to get everything exactly how you want it. Some things will be amiss and you'll just have to move on. That being said, other things will unexpectedly turn out a lot better than you planned. Some of my favorite details in my house are things that weren't even planned in the beginning. So try to enjoy the process of building a home as much as possible. If you'd like more of this kind of content, subscribe to Little Bits, my weekly newsletter that's intentionally short about home functionality with a video and a thought for you to think through about your space and your reason. Expect short but close inspections of home details. As usual, I post questions for you to think through about your space and your reason. Find the link to subscribe in the show notes. Martin Luther King Jr. said, a productive and happy life is not something you find. It is something you make. Indeed, every single day we make choices that either contributes to positive progress in our lives or not. Every day. How I feel when I am in this house is important because I am in this house more than I am most anywhere else. This is my life. I want to come home and love where I live. To sit in great spaces and enjoy the things I have carefully curated. I want to share this with the people that I love and see others at ease here because of the thought I put into these areas. This is worth consideration and some time looking inward. If you happen to live in the greater metro Portland, Oregon area and know someone in the market to buy or sell a home, send them my way. The finest compliment I could ever receive is the confidence of your referral. Reach out to me through social media or my website, spaceandreason.com. Thanks for sitting in on this conversation about creating a home that thrives. I'll meet you back here for the next episode. 